millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. My name is Todd Nettleton, and we are connected today online with Floyd Brobel. Floyd is the CEO of Voice of the Martyrs in Canada. He is also the author of a book, Trouble on the Way, Persecution in the Christian Life. Floyd, welcome. Hey, Todd. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Well, I am looking forward to our conversation. I want to start out with a story. You've you have been in this ministry for a long time. You mm-hmm. actually, in some ways, were kind of born into it, which we'll talk about in a minute. When I say, tell me the story of a persecuted Christian, mm. who comes to your mind? Who is it that you've seen or, or one of the people that has really inspired your faith or inspired your walk with Christ? The one, one person that comes to mind immediately is, and I don't even know her name, and I met her in a, in a situation that many of us uh, listening to this would consider pretty dire. Uh, she was part of a village uh, just outside of this uh, city called Bahadar, in, uh, just off of Lake Tana in Ethiopia. And uh, there were three churches there in the area. They were, had been threatened. They were under some hostility for a number of months because the church was growing. So they were threatened, but they continued to thrive and they continued to grow. And so the church, uh, the Christians were rounded up and, and they were forcefully removed from the village. And when they, when they refused to leave, they were attacked. And it was in that attack, a pastor was killed. Uh, his wife was badly beaten and another brother had his back broken in that attack. And so all these Christians left and went to a much bigger city to just kind of recuperate the church. The Christians in that city took them in, prayed for them, gave them food, gave them shelter. The the man that actually had his back broken was prayed for and he was healed. The Lord healed him. And so we see some amazing things uh, there as well. And I guess it was, it was probably after, you know, a few weeks of being away from their village that they decided that they were going to quietly go back into their village and, you know, continue continue farming, continue with their living. And so that's what they did. And so we were flying now into this region and probably they were back in that village for about two weeks. And so we were going to fly in, we were going to visit them and that, and we planned a Sunday where we would go and visit them and, and see how they were doing. Uh, so that's what we did. And uh, we got there and the three churches uh, they didn't feel comfortable worshiping in their church buildings. And so all three churches got together and they were worshiping on this property that that had this, uh, I guess they would call it a mansion, but it was a mud hut, very big, with a very thin, tin corrugated sheet uh, roofing. And that's where they were all worshiping. And that's where we met them. And so uh, we were the honored guests, and so we were ushered to the front, and then we were asked to speak. And I know, Todd, you've been in this situation where you want me to speak? I mean, I need to listen to you guys. <laughs> how do you, you know, how do you endure under such pressure, right? 
But but like you, I think we find it's an opportunity just to let them know that they're not forgotten. And then at the end of the service, you know, they asked me to come back and shake people's hands as they were leaving. And, uh, you know, so we were doing that. And uh, I could tell that at the back of the line, there was this, there was the little old Ethiopian lady and she, she looked pretty frail. She had a cane and she looked a little shaky and, and, and we made eye contact and I could tell that she wanted to say something to me. And so as she made her way to me, I had to actually stoop down to kind of hear what she had to say. And to my surprise, found out that this lady was not as frail as I thought because she managed to grab my my shirt collar and <laughs> yank me down to her face level. And she planted a kiss on both of my cheeks and said, thank you for coming here today. And she was holding me down the whole time. She wouldn't let me up. She said, you know, in our country, we have all kinds of problems. So we have children that die of malaria because we can't get proper medication. We have we have young people that die of AIDS because they've given up hope on life and life is hopeless. So they don't care. And, and kids are dying of AIDS. And there's famine in our land. So often, you know, we're starving and we have a lack of food. But then on top of all of this stuff, uh, here we as Christians in this community were persecuted because we love Jesus and we seek to follow him and we seek to make him known. So she said, please, when you go back, please Tell my brothers and sisters in Canada to pray for us, but pray that we would be faithful. Pray that we would not deny him because all of these problems I told you about, even our persecution, it's just temporary. One day we will be with him. So pray that we will be faithful to him so that we can be with him one day, that we would not deny him. And she said, and when you talk to my brothers and sisters in Canada, let them know that I will be praying for them, that I will be praying that they will be faithful. Whatever problems, whatever complications they face in life, whatever opposition, I don't know if you're persecuted in Canada, but if you are, I will be praying that they will be faithful, that they would not deny Jesus. And then one day we will all be able to meet in heaven. That was my first trip. Uh, for VOM. And wow, what an inauguration into the work. It's interesting how she understood that connection among the body of Christ. Yeah. That, uh, some Christians kind of struggle to understand that. It seems like she absolutely got it that, hey, yeah. we're all connected. We're all in this together. That's right. Uh, Floyd, I mentioned that, that you were really a part of the ministry from birth almost. Yeah. Uh, tell us that story. Tell us how the story of, of your family's involvement with the Wormbrands and, and with serving persecuted Christians. Sure. So, so my parents immigrated from, from Holland and uh, they came to Canada. They had one son already, my oldest brother, Peter. And uh, then uh, I was in the process of being born. So this is in 1967. But uh, as she was going, my mom was going into the hospital. My uh, grandfather gave her a Dutch version of Tortured for Christ to read. Really, she read that book uh, while in the hospital and something just sparked within her. And she said, I just can't read this and do nothing. I need to do something. And so she just started making money, selling bake sales and organizing garage sales and, and just whatever kind of money that she could make. Uh, then she would send it to Richard Wormbrand. I guess at that point, their office would have been in California, I think. And more and more people in Canada were asking 
you know, Richard Warnbrandt to come up and share his testimony. And, and so I guess they, they received enough calls from Canada that I guess he and Sabina were thinking, how do we arrange something in Canada? They called her and, and uh, said, hey, would you mind arranging this meeting for us? And uh, my mom said, okay, yeah, I can do that. And, and she enlisted the help of, of my dad and a few friends and they, they found a location and they organized this meeting and Richard and Sabina came and, and the place was packed. Wow. And uh, Richard, yeah, you know, he gave his testimony. Of course, you could hear a pin drop whenever Richard spoke. Uh, people were really locked into his testimony. But it was at that time that he shared the, the need. Uh, hey, we could really use someone in Canada to just start facilitating some of this work. And, and my mom was in the back of the room then thought to herself, wow, wouldn't it be really, wouldn't it be great if someone in a meeting that I organized actually you know, started this work in Canada. And as soon as she thought it, the Lord spoke to her heart and said, what about you, Nellie? Uh, she said yes. And the voice of the Martyrs Canada started around our dining room table. And uh, we grew up uh, having Richard and Sabina over whenever they came to visit. And uh, yeah, it was just an incredible time. And if am I understanding correctly that this year is the 50-year anniversary of, of VOM Canada? That's right. So, yeah, this will be officially our uh, uh, when we registered officially in 1971. So this is our 50th year. So what memories do you have of Richard and Sabina? You, you talked about the fact that they were around the dinner table and, and were part of kind of part of your family. What, what memories do you have of the kind of people that they were? Uh, when they would come. Uh, they wouldn't come on their own. All the Romanians in the area and Russian speakers in the area would bombard our house. And and they were very loud and boisterous and brought all kinds of strange food. And and I think as uh, my brother and sister and I would have been uh, shell-shocked by the, you know, the different culture bombarding us. Uh, <laughs> at one point, Richard looked over and, and saw, hey, these kids aren't really eating anything because we're looking at the food going, what is this stuff? And he goes, I know. He said, do you guys like pizza? And we're like, are eyes lit up, right? We we hardly had pizza back then, but we certainly knew what it was. And so we said, oh, we love pizza. So he says, I'll order you a pizza. Don't worry. You know, a half hour later, the doorbell rings and, and it's the pizza guy, right? So we're all excited. And he opens up the lid and we're all excited. And then our, our faces drop because we're looking at it and we're, what is on this pizza? Like it's got green olives and it's got like, heart of artichoke and and uh, whatever sardines or whatever on this thing. Like we were wondering, what what is this? This isn't pizza. And so he's like, kids, kids, what's the matter? It's pizza, it's pizza. Why don't you have some pizza? And we're like, uh, well, yeah, okay. And then uh, the doorbell rang again, and it was the pizza guy bringing in another pizza, pepperoni pizza with extra cheese that he brought. So he had set us up on purpose just to see us, <laughs> our reaction to the first pizza. So that was Richard. He always tried to have fun and get us engaged. For us as kids, we probably hung out with Sabina more. You know, we, whenever Richard spoke, uh, we hung out with her at the book table in the back and she was always wheeling and dealing and putting these book bundles together and trying to sell this special package of three books. And if someone said, well, I might be able to buy that, but I already have this one book. And she would say, well, 
But then, okay, then why wouldn't you give it to a friend then? They would go home with an extra book that they already had. But uh, so we had a lot of fun uh, with Sabina at the book table. And because you were pretty young at the time, how did that impact your understanding of faith to to hear Richard and Sabina's stories, but also hear the stories of, of others who were still suffering? How did that impact what you thought about being a Christian, being a follower of Christ. You know, the Wormbrands were heroes to us and, and listening to their stories and meeting them face to face. I mean, we just looked up to these guys. But the testimonies, I think, really scared us. We saw, you know, some photos and of persecution of, of Christians that have been martyred and killed in communist countries, concentration camps. You could see, you know, sometimes the photos of of bodies or, or uh, torture and, and things like this. For us, it became very difficult. I became personally thought, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was work for Voice of the Martyrs. I, I would certainly pray for Christians, but it was just it was just too difficult for me, this understanding of persecution. I, I just equated it still too much with physical pain and suffering. But, you know, the Lord has his way of bringing us to where we need to be and helping us process things. And I heard a story of, of, um, of a mission director who he believes his son was killed in a, in a hit and run and targeted because of his Christian activities and faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was able to hear him share that story. And uh, in doing so, he put out a challenge to say, are, are you willing to follow Jesus? Are you willing to follow Jesus no matter the cost? Are you willing to follow Jesus uh, even if it means he leads you to some places where you may not want to be, but you know that this is where he's going to use you? And I said, we were sitting in a church, and, and I, you know, after hearing his story, I, I said, yes, God, I'm willing to follow you wherever you lead me. <laughs> and the voice came back, that's good even if it means working for VOM. And I was like, yes, yes, even if it means working for (laughs) VOM. And so the opportunity came to come and join the mission, which was a shock to my parents because they thought of of the three of us, I would be the last one of the kids to be able to work for VOM. But here I was. And so I think that uh, even though I joined, I still didn't have this understanding. And, you know, we're, we're still growing in this whole understanding of persecution and, and living it out in our faith, in, our, in the context of, of living here in the West and some of the complications we have. But, um, you know, then, then going on this first trip and meeting the little old Ethiopian woman, I, th- I just see how it just comes full circle. And the Lord just just was able to bring me on this journey to to bringing it, you know, through this little old Ethiopian woman who, who was really telling us the same stories that Richard and Sabina told us. But now I'm older and, and able to understand the concepts more and realize that God is faithful in the midst of such difficulty and circumstance. These people, they're not looking to get persecuted. They, they don't want the, the pain and the struggle, but at the same time, they're not going to run from it. And if it happens, they know that that God is sovereign over it all, and and uh, they continue to to trust Him and serve Him. Floyd, let's talk about your book. I think one of the things that you do that that I found rather interesting is 
lay out a pathway of persecution like mm-hmm. like what how does this start and then how does it escalate and then where does it end up talk to me a little bit about that pathway and and why you think it's helpful for readers for western free nation christians to understand that pathway and understand what it looks like you know this this comes up in discussion with with a number of people glenn penner included you know we would we would commute to work often lived in the same neighborhood and and you know that was that was one of my favorite times because you could glenn was such a big theological brain you could ask him all these questions and and uh he would be able to uh uh, give some good answers. One of his favorite lines was, the Bible says, blessed are those who are persecuted. It doesn't say blessed are those who are not. And so I would listen to that and go, yeah, but, you know, if we believe that every good and perfect gift comes from God, and we believe that freedom is a gift from God, then then certainly freedom is something that we should value, something that we should share, something that we should steward, Right. Uh, not take for granted, but something that we should steward. And then you hear the other line. We all know that verse. All who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So so here we are in the West. We're living in, in relative freedom. You know, the gospel can go out fairly unchallenged to some degree, you know, much, much freer than in other nations. And so I'm grappling with these two ideas and going, okay, how does this relate to us? And I know that in my discussion with Christians uh, across Canada in different uh, forums and settings, you know, they're trying to figure out how does this compute, right? So they see persecuted Christians as the standard. Our faith just needs to match up to theirs. And, and I'm like, no, that's not exactly it either, right? We don't want to get into the danger of comparing our persecution with someone else's persecution. And Richard Wurmbrandt talks about this too. He said, all we need to do is be faithful and be obedient. And whatever consequences come our way because of our faithful obedience, because of faithful witness, we just gladly accept those. So I started thinking about, well, what does that look like for us here in in Canada, in the U.S.? Uh, Ridicule is one that comes to mind right away. And we might not think of that necessarily as persecution, but, but in some ways it is an opposition that seeks to belittle us um, and it seeks to stop Christian faithful mission. So, so if it is effective enough to stop us from evangelizing, within, even within our sphere of influence, I'm not talking about going on the street to preach. I'm not talking about going door to door and handing out gospel tracts. I mean, that's all well, fine and good. But we have a sphere of influence that we can reach. And if ridicule, if we know that we will be ridiculed and that stops us from faithfully witnessing about Christ, that to me is a form of persecution because it is it is subjecting our Christian witness and faith. And that is something then that we have to recognize and overcome. If you don't want to call it persecution, that's fine. Call it opposition. At least acknowledge that those things are there to diminish your Christian witness and your ability to reach others for Christ. If you're talking to a pastor that's been tortured, and as you listen to their stories, we'll often hear that before they were tortured, they were ridiculed or they were harassed or they were threatened. 
they may have been even a, attacked or their church was attacked right before it got to that point. One, one person told me, you can't be caught off guard by something you anticipate. So if we anticipate trouble on the way, then, then it's not going to derail us when it comes our way. And to me, that's one of the great differences between most Western Christians who came to faith in a free nation and, say, somebody who came to faith out of a Muslim background in the Middle East, they knew there was going to be a problem. They, they, their eyes were open from day one. This is going to cost me something. Whereas, as you say, most of us, we don't anticipate there's going to be a problem. Uh, so uh, when people finish your book and walk away from it, what do you want them to take with them? What, what do you want them to have learned? I think the main thing that I would want them to walk away from is, is just an understanding of being prepared to suffer. So it's, it's again looking at Paul's words to Timothy. All who seek to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus told us, in this world, you will have trouble. So if we prepare for financial trouble, where we try and save money, we try and invest for our future, right? We, we have a retirement savings plan. We have pulled all these things together. We have medical insurance, right? We have car insurance. So we, we prepare for all this trouble. Why would we not take the time to prepare for persecution? Because the Bible tells us that it will come. It may be just even a time in our life where we experience some form of persecution because of our Christian witness and faith. And, and so I think like your book, as you bring people face to face with, with testimonies and, and in a unique way where, where you can travel with me and, and taste, touch and feel and so they can picture themselves sitting in a mud hut and listening to someone tell their story. How can you not be changed by that? And, and I think those things then prepare us for, okay, we will be ready. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.